We'll hear argument first this morning in James versus United States. Mr. Crawford. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court, we confront today the Eleventh Circuit's troubling interpretation of the otherwise clause of the Armed Career Criminal Act. Under the text and structure of the Act, as well as the categorical approach that this Court recognized in Shepard and Taylor, Florida attempted burglary com- convictions should not qualify um, as they, these types of convictions do not involve explicitly, implicitly, or even inherently a serious potential risk of physical injury to another. The respondent in their brief has, come ac- has enunciated a test to determine whether a conviction should qualify, and that test that they enunciate is basically a district court judge or a sentencing judge uses their common sense and experience to determine whether an offense um, should qualify. That type of test is not the kind of test that this Court enunciated in Taylor and Shepard when it looked at a very elemental approach at determining whether convictions um, should qualify. The categorical approach this Court enunciated refers to predicate offenses in terms not of prior conduct, but of prior convictions and the elements of those crimes. Um, As such, the government's argument um, would open up a — is a broad mandate that courts could use to bring in almost any type of crime, any kind of felony, to be included within the Armed Career Criminal Act. For instance, um, simple possession of cocaine is a third-degree felony in, fel- in Florida. It's a five-year statutory maximum. If — under the serious drug offense that Congress enumerated, It would only qualify if it had a 10-year statutory maximum and it involved the distribution of drugs. Yet, if the government's approach to the interpretation of the otherwise clause is to be used, that simple possession of cocaine could qualify if a judge, using their common sense and everyday experience, determines it presents a serious potential risk of physical injury to another. Obviously — If we were looking at attempted — generic burglary of a residence, wouldn't that involve conduct that presents a serious potential risk of physical injury to another? Um, Your Honor, in Taylor, this Court was clear that under enumerated burglary or generic burglary, the offense becomes a — has that serious potential risk when the person actually enters the dwelling or enters the structure. And under an attempted burglary, at least in Florida and in most other states, that act has not occurred. You haven't entered. The defendant has not entered the property. If the would-be burglar is climbing through the window or, or, or on a ladder uh, attempt, with the intent to climb through the window, wouldn't that involve almost the same risk or maybe the same risk? If, if the conduct, again, we're looking at uh, then a, a fact-based inquiry, Obviously, some attempted burglaries could get that far. Other attempted burglaries are are caught well before that actually occurs. But if you were to say that the attempted burglary was climbing up a ladder, trying to get into the place, and the person actually didn't get in, again, under Taylor, it says the risk is when when the person enters. The risk is much less outside the dwelling than inside the dwelling. In in Florida, that would be burglary itself, right, because — covers the curtilage around the house? 
the, the curtilage is an, a unique concept, I guess, in Florida, in that the curtilage is the enclosed space around the house that has some kind of enclosure, whether by fence or whether by bushes. So if the place was enclosed and you had a ladder going up to the residence, that would actually be a burglary within the state of Florida. And in that, most and other presents, states, it may not. Right. And, and we don't even have to ask whether that presents a serious potential risk under the statute, right? Because a burglary is identified as as an as an as a, a a predicate offense, without the need to resort to the definition. Well, it would be a burglary in the state of Florida, but under the test enunciated in Taylor, it wouldn't qualify because Taylor was very specific. It's the entering a dwelling or structure, and in Florida, you could be guilty of a burglary without entering a structure or dwelling, just like in a curtilage burglary. Well, you, you could do it uh, in a non-curtilage burglary state simply by putting the ladder up to the, the window and, and getting on the first rung of the ladder. I mean, you would, have, you would have taken a substantial step. You would have made an attempt. Now, why would that not qualify under the words of the statute that refer to a potential risk? Haven't you created the potential for the risk of the harm that the statute is getting at when you take the substantial step? Well, in uh, trying to use the court's words in Taylor, Taylor talked about that well, serious how about, potential. how about my question first, though? Okay. I mean, haven't you, haven't you, in the words of the statute, created the potential for the risk when you take that substantial step by starting up the ladder? If you started up the ladder and that's the way the attempted burglary conviction came down, it would be a lot closer call to say that would be a potential risk, whether it's a serious potential risk under Taylor, uh, it's not as clear. Well, wait, you, but but you, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't analyze it on the basis of whether this defendant started up the ladder. As I understand it, you, would, you, would, you have to analyze it on the basis of whether generically attempted burglary as a whole poten- uh, presents a serious enough risk. Isn't that the way it has to be done? That's the way that we submit it has to be done. Right. You you're, wouldn't be getting you're, to those facts. No, but I thought your argument was that that analysis would not lead to the result unfavorable to your client because the nature of starting up the ladder did not create or could not reasonably be seen as creating this kind of risk. In other words, I thought you were saying, maybe I misunderstood your argument, uh, that the reason the Taylor analysis favors you is that merely taking a substantial step, which is what the indictment would charge, could not be seen as creating the potential risk that the statute talks about. Now, if I'm, if I'm not understanding your argument correctly, you know, straighten me out here. I think I understand that, that substantial step in even taking a step up the ladder, um, Mr. James would submit, based on the language of the statute, would not qualify well, okay. um, and so, would not create that serious potential risk a physical and that's why simply charging attempted burglary will never satisfy the statute under a Taylor analysis, as you understand it. That's correct. Okay. But even if, even if it would, that's only one manner of attempt. And it seems to me, if you're going to do it generically, you have to look over the whole scope of possible attempts and say, does the whole scope of possible attempts bear, I would say, a similar risk of uh, the use of physical force, as do the specifically mentioned 
crimes of burglary, arson, or extortion. Indeed, I guess you have to use the, uh, uh, the, the least dangerous. Uh, wouldn't you say extortion is probably uh, of those mentioned crimes, burglary, arson, extortion, or the use of explosives? or otherwise involves conduct. Now, that otherwise, that refers me back to the crimes already mentioned, and I would say that means that the unnamed crime has to have a similar risk, at least a risk as high as the least dangerous of the crimes mentioned, which I would take to be extortion. Wouldn't you say? Of those four, extortion does seem to potentially have the least risk. Of all those crimes enumerated. But and what's a potential risk, by the way? A potential it's risk. A potential potential. I mean, every risk is, a pot- is potential, isn't it? It's in, the gov- in the respondent's brief, they talked about how risk and potential and serious, some of those words potentially knock each other out, and I apologize I, for using that very word. You, you think potential risk is just risk, really? I, I think it is a risk. It, it, but it isn't, isn't one way of looking at it. I mean, I, when I read it, you know, I thought it's just redundant. But it may very well be that the word potential is in there in order to accommodate uh, attempts. If, if that were true, I mean, Congress, when they wrote the statute and, and in 924E2B2, the, or B21, they specifically enumerated attempted crimes to qualify under that violence. So it has an element use of or attempted use of or threatened use of physical force. But under prong two, they specifically deleted that, that, uh, that word of it attempt. Specifically deleted or didn't? They did they, not include it. And under the Russell presumption. Than specifically deleting it. In other words, it was never there in the proposal. In 1984, actually, there was a proposal where burglary would qualify and attempted burglary would qualify, that was passed by the Senate, never passed by the House, never enacted. So later on, when burglary was actually defined, burglary was defined as the type of burglary that Taylor came close to defining the same way. So do do I understand your submission to be that putting the ladder against the side of the House to an attempt burglary at starting up the ladder, that that generically does not pose a potential risk of physical injury? If that were the only way to prove an attempted burglary within a state, if that would be that would be the requirement, the legal requirement that you have to put the ladder against the house and that's an element of the offense, that to me would be a much closer call, but still under the analysis that we provided the court um, with the Russello presumption, it should not qualify. But it is a closer case, whereas categorically when you look at attempted burglaries, the putting the ladder against the side of the house isn't an element of the offense. But uh, we understand from your friend on the other side that an overt act toward fulfilling the attempt is required under Florida law. In other words, it's not just enough to have bur- burglary tools in your, in, your, in your house. Correct. You've got to take it, an affirmative step toward accomplishing the burglary. It is an overt act that is beyond mere thinking about it. Why doesn't anybody, uh, you know, count? Well, it sounds to me, if you're wondering about whether there's a serious risk of harm, you could find out. Look at the convictions that in Florida for attempted burglary, look at the convictions for burglary, and see if the harm involved, uh, the number of cases in which people are harmed is roughly similar. We have all these law professors who like statistics now. They like law and economics and everything. So why don't they go out there and count? And then we'd actually know 
instead of sitting here and trying to figure out something I know nothing about. Right. I've never been involved in a lot of burglaries. I don't know how the burglaries operate. I, I suspect some people are hurt. But rather than my suspicion, why don't we find out what the facts are? We're not going to be able to do that in time to decide this case, but sticking well, <laughs> as a method of approaching it. It also keep the professors from other mischief. <laughs> but do, what do we know about the dimensions of the Florida attempt crime? If, for example, you have said it doesn't mean that you possess burglar tools. Does it mean or does it exclude casing the house, walking up and down the street, around the block? But when, when, when is a step substantial enough to constitute an attempt under Florida law? Well, the st- it's not really a step analysis, a substantial step analysis. It is an overt act. It's some overt act manifesting your intent to actually now, what is that enter. concretely? If it, it, it's not possessing burglar's tools, it's not casing the place, what, what qualifies as an overt act that would make one guilty of the crime of attempted burglary? Okay. Um, if you had uh, a diagram of the person's house and you had burglary tools in your car and you had maybe even called to make sure the business was closed, and you were driving there, and as you're driving there, you're telling your, the person sitting beside you, I'm going to break into that, you know, business at 254 Main Street. That would be enough under Florida law to convict someone for attempted burglary of, you know, a structure. So I guess we have to decide how many attempts uh, involve that kind of uh, 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 initial action, which doesn't seem very physical threatening. And how many of them uh, involve putting a ladder up against the side of the house? How, 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 how can we possibly figure that out I, to decide whether, as a whole, the degree of risk from uh, attempted burglary is as high as at least the degree of risk from uh, extortion? That may be that, — that would be a very difficult question to answer, and maybe the respondent had that obligation in the district court because they have the obligation to prove that this enhancement has that substantial or that serious potential risk of physical injury to another, and, of course, they didn't do that. But if you look back in this Court's decision in 1985 in Tennessee versus Garner, we, they, this Court was talking about completed burglaries, and it talked about physical violence to a person which only occur in a rare case, and it gave the percentage, I think, of 3.6 or 3.8 percent of the time. But that's in a completed burglary. That's not even talking about an attempted burglary. May which I the risk ask you th- this question? There it seems to me there are two ways to read the burglary, arson, or extortion uh, examples, that they are clear examples of crimes that would involve harm to individual, physical injury to another, or they are, they are put in the statute saying even though they don't involve serious risk, these specific crimes will be, will be covered. And because your statistic of 3 percent suggests that burglary itself probably would not qualify as a crime that presents a serious risk of physical injury, but the statute nevertheless defines it. So do you read those terms as giving examples of crimes that would not, them, would not involve that risk of injury or as examples of crimes that would? 
I think it can be read either way, although I think um, even in the government's brief in or the respondent's brief in Taylor talks about extortion and burglary being crimes that can be committed with no risk of physical injury to another person, and yet Congress still specifically enumerated but Mr. Crawford, if you, were, if you had that meaning in mind, you would not have used the word otherwise. You would have simply said, is burglary, arson, or extortion involves the use of explosive or involves conduct that presents a serious potential risk. The only purpose of the otherwise, which means in some other manner, some other manner, other from what? Other from the preceding ones. Uh, I, I don't think there's any sensible way to read it except uh, — you know, in, in some other manner than these previously named crimes involves a physical risk. And that's, that is what causes me to, to say, well, what's the least dangerous of the, of the previously mentioned crimes? And any crime you want to get into this residual category has to be at least as dangerous as that. And, I, you know, as I've said, I think that's extortion. And, and it's using that analysis, it's hard to figure out. But again, the government had this obligation, or we submit the government had this obligation, and they've not shown an attempted burglary to be any more dangerous. Is conspiracy to commit burglary a crime that poses a serious potential risk, as burglary does? In Florida, or in the 11th Circuit, they have determined that conspiracy to commit enumerated offenses um, do present that serious potential risk. Um, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Finish. So, so in the 11th Circuit, they have determined that. But again, uh, we submit under that Rusello presumption, uh, or even the, the statute itself, Congress enumerated those those four property crimes primarily. Doesn't property that seem crimes. like a fine line? I mean, if you're sitting around with the co-conspirator planning it, you can be covered under this provision, planning a burglary. But if you actually get out there with the burglar tools, you put the ladder up against the door, and you start up the ladder. That somehow involves less of a potential risk of physical injury? They, they both present very little to potential risk. Um, they don't even really pretend, they, under a serious potential risk, they don't present that. A conspiracy shouldn't either. A conspiracy and attempt are not different things because a conspiracy doesn't qualify. So you think the, the 11th Circuit's wrong? I believe the 11th Circuit's wrong with conspiracy as well. All right, if we don't know, and, and I, if I can't get too far with the language, uh, and I, frankly, uh, could sit in my office uh, looking at the, tele- uh, the that computer screen, I think, for hours, and I wouldn't be closer to knowing whether there is or is not a lot of injury that accompanies attempted burglary. But that is something that's possible to know. All we have to do, as I said before, is count. And there are a lot of people who can do that. In fact, there are people who at least have a mandate to do it, and that is the Sentencing Commission. So they have the tools, they have the ability, and so in the absence on a question like this of my being able to get anywhere by cogitating about the language, and in a borderline case where it isn't obvious, why don't we as a court simply follow a reasonable interpretation of what the Sentencing Commission did in the absence of better information from some other place? Well, the Sentencing Commission, when they were interpreting um, the career offender um, statute or guideline, they were looking at a, a, a guideline that is worded different than the. They're trying to find out the same answer to the same kind of question. How many of these attempted burglaries, how many burglaries, how many other crimes are accompanied by 
an individual being hurt. And as I say, I cannot imagine how to answer that question in a borderline case without trying to find the numbers, which I don't have here. And therefore, since I don't have them, why don't I look to the best, second best alternative, which is at least they could get them, and I hope they did get them, before coming to the conclusion they did. Well, they came to that conclusion dealing with whether a career offender provision should include attempted burglary, not under the Armed Career Criminal Statute, and they specifically recognized that. Moreover, when they dealt with whether they wanted to include attempted burglary, they were dealing with career offender, which has, although it increases the, the guideline range a person can be sentenced to, it certainly doesn't increase the statutory max from a zero to ten-year offense to a 15 years to life offense. And so for those reasons, the, even if the the Sentencing Commission feels that the career offender statute or guideline should include attempted burglary. It doesn't mean this Court should use that for the armed career criminal statute. Moreover, the career offender statute says it's only a burglary of a dwelling, although the armed career criminal statute says a, burgl- a burglary qualifies if it's a dwelling or a structure. Mr. Crawford, we, we've held that the named crimes have to be considered generically according to their elements, right, burglary, arsonics. Have we ever held that the residual category or otherwise involves conduct that presents a serious potential risk of physical injury, that that has to be uh, decided generically? I mean, if, if, if we could apply that, uh, uh, that residual category, not generically, but according to the crime that was actually uh, tried and of which the defendant has been convicted, such as laying a ladder up against the house, that particular sort of burglary, it seems to me it would be a much easier, uh, much easier case, wouldn't it? We'd, we'd be able to tell whether there was a serious risk of f- physical injury. Is there any obstacle to doing that? Well, Taylor and Shepard both talk about that predicate offenses under 924E should be looked at in a using a categorical approach, and we ha- and the court has talked about that being a an approach looking to the elements of the offense. Did, did Just it, a quick did it, did it, was it referring to the residual category? It didn't specifically refer to the residual category, but even in Shepard, maybe it's in not a put- too late to save ourselves from from if, sending out legions of law professors to uh, to do <laughs> studies. If, if the court were to step back and say that the otherwise clause should be interpreted in a non-categorical manner, and we're going to or the court decides it's a factual-based approach. Um, in, in Mr. James' case, there are no facts, so it, it, it may not make any difference for him because there's no facts to indicate what kind of burglary um, really occurred here. You mean, other no, than you the, mean no facts in the indictment or charging documents? Correct. But there is in the pre-sentence report? That is correct. There were facts that were presented in the pre-sentence report that came from police reports. You don't have any doubt that, at least with respect to two of the other named crimes, the attempts would present a serious potential risk. In other words, attempted arson or attempted use of explosives. You you concede those would be covered, don't you? Actually, no. Um, Those crimes, attempted crimes, also should not come in unless there's something about an attempted arson statute that 
has as an element or something that presents a serious potential risk of physical injury to another, which, at least in Florida, that's not the case. Don't you think attempted use of explosives is at least as dangerous as extortion? I mean, as, as far as the risk of physical injury is concerned, it's, I would think attempted use of explosives is, is much more dangerous to physical health than extortion. Getting back to your question, maybe this answers part of it. The, although the Court, you asked, Justice Scalia, you asked a question about wh- why can't we make this basically maybe a fact-based inquiry. And if you were to do so, the whole categorical approach that we're dealing with in all the other um, sections would almost become irrelevant, because if something doesn't apply categorically, then we'll go to a fact-based inquiry, and that kind of defeats the whole purpose of the categorical approach. Mr. Crawford, does Does the record show that the facts in the PSR came from police reports rather than from a plea colloquy or someplace in the court records? The plea colloquy um, was not ever presented or produced, and it does show that they came from police reports. Where is that in the record? I believe that is stated in the PSR um, regarding the the, the facts that they allege under the um, attempted burglary which, again, were objected to. Specifically, the facts weren't necessarily objected to, but the use of the attempted burglary was objected to, and both the District Court and the Eleventh Circuit took that as being an objection to using anything regarding the attempted burglary. Mr. Crawford, may I ask you a question about the relationship between generic burglary and what Florida uh, takes as sufficient to show an attempt? And what I'm getting at is, is the issue that at least was alluded to in the Jones case. Um, do you understand Florida law on attempted burglary to be as follows? That there must be an overt act taken toward entering either a dwelling or, or structure as distinct from an overt act taken to get within the curtilage. The element, I see my time's up. Let me briefly answer this question or I want to remains or let some remain for my rebuttal. Um, very quickly, the overt act has to refer to the attempting to enter the dwelling. And so um, — So there's no such thing as, as, as attempted entry of the curtilage uh, as, a, as an attempt offense under burglary, under Florida law? Under Florida law, attempting to enter the curtilage is an attempted burglary. It's the same thing. Dwelling is defined as — the building okay, or so the when curtilage. you say dwelling, you mean dwelling as defined to include curtilage. Correct. Okay. Thank, Thank you, you, Mr. Crawford. Mr. Marcus. Thank you, Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court. Petitioner's conviction for attempted burglary of a dwelling under Florida law is a violent felony under the Armed Career Criminal Act because, like the crime of burglary, petitioner's crime categorically involves conduct that presents a serious potential risk of physical injury to another. Mr. Marcus, do you agree with your brother's answer to my last question that, that there would be an attempt, could be an attempt, under Florida law, simply to take an overt, to, to commit an overt act toward entering the curtilage as distinct from entering a physical dwelling or a physical structure? Yes, while there aren't, I would agree with that, that while there aren't, with your characterization, there are no, there are no reported cases involving uh, an, an attempted burglar that involved an, an attempt to get onto the curtilage. Um, I, if you, I think so we would, don't know really on, what Florida law is? I mean, is that the, the, the best answer? 
Yes, I don't think I don't think you could conclude. Um, they have there's there's no decision telling you whether that would suffice. But we're, we're not taking the position that it could not involve an attempted entry into the curtilage. So that that literally, I take it then, if someone did have a fence around the house, and I I I walked from the sidewalk onto the lawn toward the fence with the intent of getting over the fence. That would qualify, then, as you understand it, as an attempted burglary uh, under Florida law. Yes, it could. It could. But, I and, think there... and would that be true if I simply wanted to get into the yard, if my intent was to get on the other side of the fence but not into the dwelling? For example, I, you know, I wanted to steal the apples on the tree. Would well, that, I think, would that yeah, qualify I think... as, as, as attempted burglary? I think it could. Um, I think... But I think you, you have Doesn't to that give you a pretty tough row to hoe uh, in, in saying that there is a, a sufficient potential risk of the sort of harm that qualifies under the Act? I don't think so, Your Honor. I mean, Florida, in the State versus Hamilton case that we discussed in our brief, Florida has defined curtilage uh, narrowly. It strictly construed the word curtilage narrowly to um, limit that concept to an enclosed area that immediately surrounds the dwelling. Uh, and, the, and the case discusses um, a couple cases from, from various Florida courts of appeals uh, th- where the courts construed the concept of curtilage and held that, um, in one case, it was marijuana that was a, quite a distance away from the, dw- from the dwelling house, in another case, a whiskey still that was um, a distance about 50 yards away from uh, the dwelling house, that those were too far out to be considered part of the curtilage, part of that area that immediately surrounds the dwelling and is associated with the intimate activities of the dwelling. So Florida, and, and Florida, and, and I think the, the Court should take the Florida Supreme Court at its word when it said it's going to strictly construe that concept and when it said it's not going to construe it to produce absurd, harsh, or unreasonable results, taking, keeping in mind how serious the offense of burglary is. So I think the, so. The first step, I think, if you don't if you don't believe that the way Florida defines burglary is generic uh, in the way Congress had in mind, I don't think you could conclude that it presents a categorically different um, set of risks such that it would even fall outside the otherwise clause. Well, there are a number of um, Florida cases that involve open carports. How would you apply it there? If somebody, if you have a carport that's not fenced off at all, to uh, 20 feet, let's say, from the street, somebody walks into the carport and steals a, a garden rake? Well, I think, under the current, I think under the current statute, it's been amended since, uh, um, since 1993 or 94, when, uh, which is relevant, the statute that's relevant to this case. I think now carports are considered part of the, uh, the dwelling itself, um, the structure itself. Um, but under, um, but if, it, if but under the, uh, Florida's concept of curtilage, if the area was not enclosed, if it was not enclosed by a fence or other structure, uh, it would not be considered part of the curtilage. And in fact, the State versus Hamilton case um, cited a case and cast a doubt on a prior case that had found a burglary uh, that took place on a uh, driveway, and, and noted that the court in that case hadn't determined whether the area, whether the driveway was enclosed. So. It, it does the, the statute. The, the concept does require an enclosure and the area immediately surrounding the dwelling, and I think it's very difficult to conclude that that, that, that defined in that way, in that limited way, that someone who's uh, intending to get onto a residence into the area, either in or right around the dwelling, that that person is not um, sort of the categorically dangerous kind of person that Congress had in mind when it uh, set out burglary as one of the paradigmatic offenses in the statute. So, in an ordinary city street in Miami. You're walking along the street, and there are a lot of houses, and there's a little bit of lawn or bushes in front, and there's not a fence, 
as there isn't in uh, — there aren't fences in many city blocks. The person goes up to the house and starts to monkey around with the window to graze it or whatever. That's attempted burglary, not burglary in Florida. That, that, yes, that's, that would be my understanding if it was not enclosed. All right. There was, so just walk right up I'd ask with — then, I, again, I'm left at C. I don't know how often that happens or is dangerous. So if I think that this is really a statistical question, and I think maybe it is, and the government's in the best position, they have all the statistics, they have whole bureaus over there. So what about a presumption against the government? In a case where it seems to be a close case and it's a statistical question and the government doesn't have any statistics. Well, I think, uh, I don't think when Congress enacted this law that it expected uh, that courts would have statistics available to just. Dis- How are you supposed to decide it if there's uh, a question as there is in this instance, I think? I think. But I just don't know how dangerous attempted burglaries are. I mean, maybe I'm not supposed to admit there are a lot of things I don't know, but there are. And this is one of them. Well, there are several things you can do. First, you can look at the, the text of the statute. Uh, Congress, I've read the text Congress, every Cong- time. Congress provided some guidance by setting out four um, examples of crimes that do present the type of risk they had in mind. Correct. And here, and I think it might be less than burglary. And extortion, though one thinks of somebody writing a poison pen letter or something and revealing a secret from the past, many such crimes are threats of violence. I mean... And, and that just read through the statutes, and that's what they're aiming at. So I'd say extortion is something that quite often uh, could involve uh, violence. But, uh, again, that's cogitating. So I get to attempted burglary? I don't know. Now what do I do? Well, I think you, I think you have to consider what Congress's purpose in enacting the statute. Congress directed your attention to the, poten- the serious potential risk that an offense presents. I think that just in the criminal law requires courts and and juries all the time to take into account and to use their common sense and experience to judge the risks that are presented by a particular crime. I mean, the very concept of recklessness itself refers to a substantial disregard. Mr. Of Marcus, a- it's a lot easier to do that with respect to the, to the facts and circumstances of a particular crime than it is to do it generically, you know, picking out, you know, attempted burglary. It's very hard to do, do that. Why, why shouldn't we read this, uh, this residual category? to refer to the facts and circumstances of the particular crime of which the defendant has been convicted. The the language enables you to do that. Uh, The term violent felony means any crime punishable by imprisonment for a term exceeding one year that involves conduct that presents a serious potential risk of injury, physical injury to another. Why why can't we uh, not not interpret that to mean generic crime, but rather well, <clears throat> the particular crime of which this defendant stands convicted. Well, all that, I mean, this law has been interpreted for many years. No courts of appeals have, have construed it that way. They've all construed it to require a categorical approach, and that if you look at the structure of the provision, Congress clearly, with respect to the listed offenses, had in mind sort of a categorical approach that while these of course, at a, at a, sort of looking at one of these crimes on an ex post basis, it might not present any risk. The idea is that these crimes categorically present uh, a, potes, a serious potential risk of physical injury. And would you agree, Mr. Marcus, that this Court's decision in Shepard excludes that interpretation, that you look at the particular crime? 
Well, I think the, the Court referred both in, in Taylor and Shepard to, uh, to Congress's um, approach in, under the statute and that sort of the, that it wanted to take a categorical approach to crimes that sort of inherently present didn't, didn't a serious all, potential. Didn't we also go further and say one reason uh, to construe it that way is we, we, we don't want courts to have to be, in, in effect, having sort of subsidiary collateral trials after the fact uh, to, to establish you know, the facts of old trials. There, there was an administrability analysis in, involved. I think there was. I, mean, yes. I wrote Shepard, and I think that's what yes. was put in. There was, there was that as well. And I, and I don't think it's beyond the ability of courts to take, take a crime, look at the elements of the crime, figure out what conduct is necessary to satisfy those elements, and then use common sense and experience um, to make a judgment about how that the, the risks that are posed by that conduct, looking at the situation. Mr. Marcus, isn't there this this linguistic problem with the statute anyway? Because this language, if it said a some, a, a, that sometimes presents a serious risk, then the answer would be obvious. If otherwise it said that characteristically presents a serious risk, then it might be closer. And which do you think is the more normal reading of it? I think either is certainly fits the language. That it either it either means sometimes presents a potential risk of physical injury, then obviously they're all covered. Or if it says characteristically presents the risk, potential risk, then I don't know. Then do you have to decide whether that it is a, a characteristic of potential burglary that it all that it does present this risk, or that just once in a while it does? No, I think it's not that. I, no, I think it has to characteristically taken at a general level the conduct required to commit a burglary of getting. If this, that were true. Uh, get, and if, as your opponent said, that in actual burglaries, there's only 3% of them actually involve risk to, to uh, uh, physical injury to another, then attempted burglary must necessarily be somewhat less than 3%. I would think that. Would that satisfy the characteristic requirement? I think it would. First of all, the, the Congress — is it 2 or 3%? The statistics he's referring to uh, came out before Congress amended the statute in 1986 and expanded it and specifically enumerated burglary as one of the crimes that it thought paradigmatically presented a serious potential risk of injury. Well, I don't think that's so, perfectly clear. And the otherwise language does suggest that. You're right. But if the statute, instead of saying otherwise, had said or involved other conduct that presents a serious risk, which I think is a permissible reading, perhaps not the best reading. But if it said that, then it's not — you're not taking as a given the fact that the others satisfy the violent requirement, but rather that they are eligible whether or not they do. Well, this Court interpreted the statute that way in Taylor. I mean, and, I mean I'm sorry, um, on, page, uh, on page 597 of Taylor, I mean, this Court said that Congress's choice of language indicates that Congress thought ordinary burglaries, as well as burglaries involving some aspect making them especially dangerous, presented a sufficiently serious potential risk to count toward enhancement. I mean, that's right, that's right in the Taylor decision, and I, th- and that, that's, I think that's got to be the correct reading of the statute, because why did Congress identify? It created two categories of violent felonies. The first is with respect to an element of the offense that goes to targeting a person for physical harm. The second category are those crimes that don't necessarily target a person for physical harm, but necessarily present or inherently present a, a, a risk of physical injury to a person. That would be fine if, if burglary were the only thing that Congress said there, but it also said extortion, and I think it absolutely fanciful to believe that extortion characteristically, characteristically involves a risk of physical harm. I, I just don't think it does. 
Well, well uh, Congress, I mean, Congress identified it as a violent felony, presumably because it but, believed it had, it, it, it had the criteria. Yeah, but, the but, violent, but is the criterion characteristically, or is the criterion whatever minimal risk of harm there is in, in extortion? Well, I think that it, right, that it carries a potential risk, because when, any, when someone commits, an ex, commits extortion, there's a t- there might be a tendency to, if, there, so if someone's not com- as the level of potential risk, the level that exists in extortion, Right. That's what the otherwise refers you to. Yes, to the level of risk presented by any of the preceding examples. That, that's correct. Maybe and to the same th- point, isn't it reasonable to assume that the, 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 the risk of harm in, in these attempt cases is characteristically going to be pretty close to zero? Uh, I mean, they're, they're, they're not in the house. They're, they're just on the ladder in, in the kind of examples we, we've been talking about. I, I, I don't agree, Your Honor. The, I mean, the statute directs you to consider the serious potential risk. That's a broad No, but the, important, one way to do that uh, is to say, well, the potential risk is the potential for the risk of the harm that comes from the commission of the crime itself. Uh, I mean, there is I, — I, I don't want to overdo it, but the, the, the risk of harm to others from the, the, the step on the ladder uh, is zero uh, if, if you consider simply the act itself of putting the ladder up against the building and taking the step. It's only because that creates the potential for getting inside where the risk, in fact, is, is measurable. I mean, we, we know there are cases in which victims get shot when they appear in the course of burglaries. But the, but the, the, the risk associated with the mere attempt in isolation is going to be minuscule. When, you, I, when you're assessing the risk presented by a particular conduct, I think you have to take into account the intent that's being, that goes along with that conduct. Oh, I, ag- I agree with you. That, I, mean, I agree with you, but the act that, involved, the act that constitutes the, 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 that qualifies for the attempt doesn't involve it. I'm trying to help you here. I'm, well, I mean, I'm. I, well, I think, again, don't I, I believe, think don't you're, believe it for a minute. You're I mean, presuming it's, it's the. It's the <laughs> <laughs> It's the why, — why do you look at the, the risk of burglary and then view attempt as a sort of lesser-included offense? I mean, attempts themselves have their own independent risk of physical injury. Obviously, if you've got a ladder up against the side of my house and you're halfway up and I come home, there's a risk of injury there, even though there's no — regardless of whether the person gets into the house uh, or not. Uh, and I think perhaps there's even a greater risk of you know, potential, greater potential risk of injury with respect to attempts because they don't succeed. Why don't they succeed? Because something interrupts them. And what interrupts them, it may well be the homeowner. So I don't know that you have to look to uh, sort of attempt as a, a lesser risk than the burglary itself. Well, Congress doesn't look to attempt as a, as, as a lesser offense, and we pointed out in our brief that the vast majority of provisions in, in the U.S. Criminal Code punish the attempt the same as for the completed offense. And if, if you look, if you think about the purpose of the ACCA, and the ACCA is not focused on the results of the prior crimes that the armed felon has committed. It's focused on the, on the risks that, that, that the, propensity, the, the, the propensity that somebody has, uh, has demonstrated by engaging in at least three prior violent felonies or serious drug offenses to engage in behavior that's dangerous, that presents dangers to public safety. And so if you think about the attempt and the whole concept of attempts, 
I mean, so, someone who has committed attempt, by definition, has, has intended to commit the offense, and as, as you said, Mr. Chief Justice, has only failed by reason of an unforeseen event. And why would Congress in the statute want to differentiate between the frustrated burglar who's only, who, hasn't, has, who hasn't succeeded only by virtue of an unforeseen event and the successful burglar? And the, I, th- I think the serious potential risk language um, is, allows, you to, and sort of allows you to look at the attempt, as, as you said, Mr. Chief Justice, sort of as the equi- virtually the equivalent of the, the un- completed the unsuccessful, attempt. The unsuccessful burglar poses a greater risk of physical injury than the successful burglar. Arguably, I mean, the vast, if you look at the case law, the vast, I mean, the vast majority of cases, I mean, the, the furthest out, the furthest case uh, the petitioner can find, the most extreme case that he's found, involves someone who's in the backyard of a dwelling, reconnoitering or casing the dwellings, and that was the most extreme example. So even with attempts, the, the, you, you find in all the case law, you do find a physical proximity to the premises. And, that, and the, right, the, one of the main reasons it wouldn't succeed is because somebody, there's the presence of someone who frustrates the entry. And so that even at, at, on that, at that level, it, it, it's hard to say that there's any lower risk presented by the attempt. Well, what do you, but, but what do you say more, about your brother's argument that uh, there's a, the statistics show there's a 3 percent chance, I think it was 3 percent chance of, of violence uh, in the course of committing the burglary. Uh, I take it there isn't any statistic available if we want to take Justice Breyer's approach uh, about the uh, potential, the actual proven potential for violence uh, at the mere attempt stage. Uh, but again, I think I would. I don't think you need to have that, those statistics. No, I don't think and, you do either. But I mean, I think your wh- whole argument has got to rest uh, uh, really on the potential for uh, for for harm in the commission of the offense. That's the, and that, that's the very reason we do. That's the very reason that attempts are prohibited because they present the serious potential to produce the harms that the completed offense presents. Do I and correctly understand? We don't need the statistics. I guess they're not available. But in your view, if we did have statistics and they showed that in one tenth of one percent of the category of crimes across the nation there was this risk, that would be enough. For, for attempts, if that's yeah. what? Well, for attempt or complete, I mean, just say the standard of what it presents a serious potential risk of physical injury. If one-tenth of one percent of the crimes, whatever the category is, uh, uh, did present such a risk, that would be sufficient under your view. Yes, I think Congress wanted to treat the frustrated burglar the same your way. Your answer they, is yes. They, they, yes, they've shown the same propensity to engage in the conduct that Congress was concerned about that falls at the heart of the statute. But wouldn't the relevant view is a really easy case, because surely there's some risk. In every case, there's some risk that somebody will, you know, bump into somebody and give them a punch in the nose, at least. That, but that's not, that's not what we're asking the Court. We're asking the Court to look at the elements of the offense and to look at the elements of the offense and to see whether that creates the sort of — creates a situation in which violence is likely to arise. Here you're talking about this is the attempted burglary of a dwelling where you have um, — But none of the elements it, of the offense satisfy the, the risk of physical injury in the burglary case. You can have unarmed burglars. No, but, but in considering the conduct involved in the offense, the, the attempting to get the, the attempt the attempt to enter a dwelling, enter someone's home, someone's residence, that creates a dynamic a situation in which right. violence and could and occur and that, and your that view, doesn't. If, it, if in one tenth of one percent of the cases there is in fact a physical confrontation, that's enough, which makes it a pretty easy case. 
Yes, but again, I, first of all, I don't think the statistics would show that. I don't think logically they would show that in light of the, um, the numbers that, he's, that are shown for completed burglary. But again, I don't see — with respect to the offenses that are, par- are covered, that are at the core of the statute, I don't see why you would distinguish between the, the person who tried to get in but was frustrated by some unforeseen event. They've created the same set of risks. They've triggered the same set of risks that the, that the successful burglar has. So in other words, you're saying that um, in measuring the risk you should consider not just what this particular defendant succeeded in accomplishing, but what the defendant was attempting to accomplish. That's correct. I think the statute, the, the statute permits you to do that with its plain language of focusing on the potential risks of the conduct, the serious potential risks, and, 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 and also in looking at the rationale for, for attempts and why we punish attempts. And then the, the person is, you, you get punished for attempt because you've sufficiently manifested your dangerousness in the same way as someone who's completed the offense. And, again, the, the, the state codes, the vast majority of state codes uh, uh, demonstrate the riskiness of, of attempt behavior. They predicate felony murder convictions uh, on attempted burglary as well as burglary. Uh, and as I said, and that as — What about attempted assault? I, I bet nobody's ever been hurt in an attempted assault. Well, I think uh, my understanding would be that would be covered under the, under the first subsection for assault. the use, attempted use, or — Threatened, use, attempted threatened use of force. All right. But, but it wouldn't fit within yours. I mean, I, I just wonder what happens when you try to get away from numbers. Uh, I mean, maybe there are a certain number of people injured during uh, mail fraud or embezzlement. You know, some people get annoyed during an embezzlement, start hitting each other. I, but that, I, I can't get away from the numbers. Well, but that's but there, but there, and those type of offenses. You, if you look at the elements of the offense, and that, that that's, there's no nexus between those elements and the and the, a, a reaction that someone might have just to being prosecuted. I mean, that's that's not what what's the test. The test is either a high, either a high uh, uh, statistical uh, uh, number of of injuries, or if not, a nexus to a crime that does have a high statistical number of injuries? I like the word nexus because whenever I see it in an opinion, I have no idea what it means. Well, this, well, in this statute, you're talking about career, career criminals, people who have committed a number of crimes and who are, have, have recently have just been convicted of being an armed felon. And I think that's — when you look at you — you, that can be your starting point. And, then, and, take, and so if this case doesn't present questions about other, other cases that might uh, present argu, — present or present a serious potential risk of physical injury, but don't necessarily seem to fit with the, um, the crimes that are listed and what the crimes that Congress had in mind, I think that's another case. This case falls at the core of the statute. We're talking about someone who intends to commit the core crime that Congress was concerned about. Mr. Marcus, I, assuming we accept your, your view uh, about the way the statute should be read, I take it you agree that because of the curtilage possibility under Florida law, that Florida law, that, that the burglary in Florida is not a, a generic burglary. That's, we, haven't, we haven't argued that it is a generic burglary. That's correct. Uh, I, I guess my, my — so that, that leads me to this question. Because, I mean, I, my understanding is it's not a generic burglary. And, and therefore, uh, even on your reading of the statute, uh, an attempted burglary in Florida doesn't necessarily uh, satisfy the, the, the prong, and it's got to come in under the residuary, residuary clause, of course. And uh, because there is a possibility uh, that, the, that the only burglary charged uh, was a burglary of the curtilage, 
we've got to, don't we have to send the thing back to find out uh, either from court records uh, whether something more than a mere penetration of curtilage was involved here? And, and if so, whether, whether that penetration uh, carried with it uh, the, the potential for harm? I mean, no. That, that's why you have the otherwise clause, to, to cover offenses, just as this Court said in Taylor, to, that they weren't No, but the only thing we know under the otherwise clause is that this was an attempt at burglary. If the burglary were a generic burglary, your analysis, if we accept it, uh, would be the end of the case. Yes. But this is not a generic burglary. And therefore, we have to assume that the, bur- that the attempt in this case could have been nothing more than stepping across the grass, uh, moving toward the fence to lean over to take the apple. And therefore, don't we have to go to court records? In other words, don't we have to uh, take advantage of the qualification in Shepard and Taylor before, before this case can finally be decided? No, I mean, you've identified an additional step that the Court has to consider in deciding the question in this case, but that step doesn't necessarily require you to go to court records. I mean, it's our position that, that even including the curtilage, the area, the enclosed area immediately surrounding the dwelling, presents a serious potential risk of physical injury. Someone well, could you tell us what your position is if we choose to use the non-categorical or the modified categorical approach? Is, is there a nexus between what's in the pre-sentence report and some other charging documents, or do we — is it just in the pre-sentencing? The char- yes, the, the charging documents are not part of the record in this case. So right, the record right now so, is solely comprised of the pre-sentence report. And we, do, we, don't, we don't have any transcript of uh, colloquies with the court or anything like that? No. Okay. Well, right. what, what about — do you think the facts in the pre-sentence report are, are admitted by your opponent or not? He, he didn't object to the facts in the pre-sentence report. He didn't. He also did not object to them. In your view, can we therefore consider them? That, that he didn't. Yes, we believe the court. So there, therefore, then the question is whether throwing the hammer through the window is sufficient. Is that right? Well, that would resolve Justice Souter's question about whether whether it would involve the curtilage. It also would show that there was an attempted physical entry into the into the residence. Would, would you think that the, the hammer through the window is a decisive fact if we do look at the individual? case? We, well, we, we don't — yes, it, it certainly — we think that any attempt to burglary of a dwelling presents a serious potential risk categorically. And uh, — but if, if, you, if you didn't agree with that, then — and you thought that only a subset of attempted burglaries of dwellings would present serious potential risk, then clearly this, this offense here that uh, would, would certainly satisfy that any conception of that. Be, because the hammer is thrown through the window, is that, I just want to be sure what I understand your view or, or of the because there was of the att- hammer. because there was an attempted physical entry into the residence. That was, there was immediate, there, the person was right on the threshold of the dwelling. I'm still a little unclear as to how much significance we pay to that hammer. We, again, we, we don't think you have to attribute any particular significance to that. I mean, that, I mean it's, it's our position that categorically this crime is covered. And, um, and again, the case law shows that, that there's, there's um, with attempted burglary cases, there is a physical proximity to the dwelling. But even, even if there was even a hypo- there, even if there was even a hypo- though there are some cases in this the large category that clearly wouldn't involve any risk to anybody. You'd say the enterprising but careful burglar who keeps watch for several days to see when no one is in the house. And that's when he chooses to make his entry. 
That's, that's correct. You can always, po- under, the, under the categorical approach, you could always posit a specific non-threatening hypothetical that equally applies to burglary as it does to attempted burglary. And so while you could posit a hypothetical where someone trying to get onto the curtilage might seem like it wouldn't pre- present any injury, if you think categorically about people who are trying to surmount, get over fences and walls to commit offenses in, in, in the dwelling or immediately around the dwelling, they're presenting the same sort of risk, and therefore there's the court can conclude that it also that within the otherwise clause that the burglary under Florida law is not so different from the kind of burglary that Congress had in mind that it would just drop out of the picture entirely. That that armed, armed felons who have the propensity to go to go into the curtilage of someone's home to either go in the house or right around the house present the same the, the very kind of risk that Congress is concerned about. Do you agree that this pre-sentence report cannot be consulted under the reasoning of Shepard? We need more. Well, under Shepard, the defendant in Shepard had objected to the use of um, sources, the use of police reports. He had also submitted, my understanding is he also submitted an affidavit uh, saying he didn't acknowledge the truth of anything in the police reports. So I think this case is distinguishable in that there was no objection to um, the facts in the PSR, and there was no objection specifically to the using the, um, the police report as the source for those facts. You don't think the PSR has some kind of significance that the police report did not or? Only it wouldn't. I, no, I don't think it would. But it's no. Is is the following sort of summary fair? Because Florida is not a generic burglary state, the mere conviction of burglary would not satisfy the burglary prong uh, in subsection two. But on your argument, even though Florida is not a generic burglary state. An attempted burglary will always satisfy the otherwise prong. Is that correct? Argument is that, is, that it, is that a fair statement of your argument? If the yes, if the if the if completed offense is a violent felony, the attempt to commit that offense is also a violent felony. That that is a fair a fair statement of our position. Thank you, Mr. Marcus. Thank you, uh, Mr. Crawford. You have four minutes. It seems to me that respondent's position is taking the otherwise clause to trump the entire rest of the statute. Um, any, any crime, any felony has a potential of violence. Um, in fact, in footnote 9 of the reply brief, we cited the Golden Opinion from the Seventh Circuit. And in that particular opinion, the court found that serious potential risk for someone who failed to report to a jail because they speculate you know, law enforcement might have to go and arrest them, and there could be violence in that situation. Well, that happens in all crimes, the potential for law enforcement to arrest somebody. There's always a potential for violence. So the well, government's it's, it's position — it's different when you're dealing with an escapee or someone who's, you know, has a visitation right and then doesn't report back and just qualifies as an escaped felon from prison. That's quite a bit different than an arrest in a normal situation. But there's still the same potential — for violence in either one of those. No, there's a greater — I had this case in the D.C. Circuit. There's a greater degree of potential when you're dealing with someone who's escaped from prison than with someone else who's being arrested. Of course, there's always the potential. But the judgment was that there's a greater degree of potential when you're trying to apprehend someone who's, uh, who's escaped. For someone who's escaped, Golden wasn't dealing with that. Golden was dealing with someone who failed to report to a facility after being sentenced to do so. The same could be said for someone failing to report to a a court for a hearing. A bench warrant is issued. The same type of risk would be inherent in that type of 
for that person as for someone who fails to report to a um, jail upon being sentenced. All of those potential crimes, basically that would leave open any potential felony to qualify under the otherwise prong, Congress obviously couldn't have intended that. Moreover, there's still an issue that was brought up in Shepard on the constitutional avoidance. Um, how do we actually make these determinations, and are these necessarily determinations that were found by the Florida court or by the Florida system for attempt, Florida attempted burglary conviction? We submit it's not. And you're going beyond the mere fact of the prior conviction. You're looking at many other components. The risk of the, con- of the conviction, was n- which is not the same thing as the mere fact of the prior conviction. There are no further questions. Thank you, Mr. Crawford. Thank you. The case is submitted.